0: So a, f- a few years ago, there's a, a popular Christian group by the name of King and Country. And they had a song, that was called Burn the Ships. And that was just one of those songs, each time it would play, it would speak to me. And it's about dealing with your past. Because the reality of it is we all have them. Now, they might be more visible by maybe some of the carnage that's behind us. Or they could be more inward things that we only, We know. But how many of you know that Satan will use your past to hinder you? Your past failures, your past successes. And so I'm, I've got this song loaded up. I'm going to play it. It's, I thank God we have good quality Christian music, don't you? That we can listen to things like K-Love or Heart Radio or whatever and hear good, wholesome Christian music. And, and so I, I, when this one was popular, I, I looked it up, I Googled it, and, of course, it has a video with it. And it's pretty well done. So I, I want to play this and then, then I'll come up when it's, when it's done. flare into the night say a prayer turn the tide dry your tears and wave goodbye Cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye, step into a new day. And step into it. lyric of that song was light a match cut the ties burn the ship whenever I would hear that song would always make me pause and think about my past failures maybe some and some of the failures of some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord that I've known that they still bear the shame of it mentioned that in the song let the shame go you know there was a study not long ago that said the number one emotion that people seek to avoid is shame and when Jesus Christ went to that cross and died, He took my sin, He took your sin, but He also took the shame of it. And He don't want you carrying the shame of your sin around anymore because it will hinder you in the call that He has in your life. It will make you feel unworthy of working in the kingdom of God. And that's His primary purpose is to keep you stagnant, to keep you in your past, your past for failures, your past successes. The reality of it is that every one of us has something in our past that they regret. The results of those sins can be more visible in the lives of some by broken homes, addictions, but hidden sins or those ones that no one knows about can also be just as hindering to our walk with God. You may not be able to tell it here, the, the version that I saw actually had the words, and, but it, I found it interesting that one of the things he mentioned in that song was flush the pills. And it made me think about how much of our society today deal with their problems with a bottle, whether it's a prescription pill bottle, whether it is a self-medicating alcohol bottle. It made me think that maybe the group, king, and country, like many of us, know someone who have done those very things. They've coped with life through a bottle. I'm not opposed to the science of medicine and prescriptions. But much of what is dealt with today may be more of a sin problem than a medical problem. Pastor John MacArthur said that today, sin is called a sickness. So people think that it requires medication or therapy and not repentance. And many times that's true. Nevertheless, we all have some ships that need burning, some ties that need cutting. Living in your past failures will keep you totally impotent and Christ wants to set you free from that. John 8, 36 says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The last statement in this video was, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. That's Galatians 5 and 1. So we're going to look briefly this morning at the Apostle Paul, who let neither his past failures or successes hinder the call that God placed in his life. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for salvation. God, and I thank you, Lord, that when you went to the cross for me, you didn't just take my sin, you took my shame. Now, you said come and, and let that, lay that stuff down. Forget about it. Put it behind me, both my failures and my successes. And so, Lord, that's hard because we know that Satan wants to always have us live there. He always wants to remind us of those things. But this morning, we will look at your servant, Paul, and how he had to Forget his past. He had some ships he had to burn, some ties he had to cut. And you call us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is Let It Go. And the key scripture is found in Philippians 3, 12 through 16. And so if you have your, your Bibles or your smartphones, then it'll be on the, uh, on the screen. 3, 12, 6, through 16 reads like this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Now I found this interesting right here. This, this Paul said, one thing I do. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. He had been arrested for sharing the gospel, and he was going to be, have his head cut off for sharing the gospel. And He wrote this letter back on one of his missionary journeys to a church he had established in a place called Philippi. And he's in prison and he's writing a letter back to them. And the primary purpose of the letter was to thank the church for a financial gift. They had been very supportive of Paul's ministry. And that was the primary purpose. But it was also, this is also often referred to as a letter of joy. Think about that, he's in prison. And this letter, joy, is used over and over and over. And like, how in the world can you be joyful when you're in prison? Because joy is not tied to your circumstances. Happiness is tied to your circumstances. I'm happy when I get to buy a new car. I'm happy when something good happens in my life. But that lasts just a little while. Joy carries on with you no matter what your circumstances is. Joy Joy can only be tied to one thing. Joy can only be tied to something eternal. And Paul's joy was, a tie, was tied to Christ and who he was in Christ. And in this particular case, he was tied to the return of Christ. Five of Paul's references to joy was tied to somehow the return of the Lord. Do you know the early church thought Christ was coming back soon? They thought they would see it. Every generation thinks they're going to see it. And And he mentioned that multiple times. What's your joy? Do you have joy? What's it tied to? I mean, we're studying in Revelation. We see what's going on in the world. It's a mess. If you watch the news like I do, you see all this nonsense going on in our nation, across the world. And, you know, I can tell you God's not up there biting His fingernails. And I'm not biting my fingernails. I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what I'm going to deal with. And neither do you. But I know whose I am. And I know He's coming again. And I know I'm going to spend eternity with Him whether I leave this earth through death or whether He comes back to get me. I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. And there's joy in that. As a matter of fact, as things get worse and we talk, and I pray there's going to be a revival and maybe there will be, but if things get worse, the Scriptures say, when you see all these things get worse and worse and worse, it says do what? Look up. Your drenching draweth nigh. So do I get concerned about things? Sure I do. But there's something deep down in me, and I know there's many of you, there's something deep down in you that has this joy. And that's what Paul had. But where did it come from? He said, brethren, this one thing I do. You would have thought in this, Paul would have said, by this time he's done all his missionary journeys, he's done all of his his work for the Lord, he's soon to be martyred. You think, this one thing I do is share the gospel, and he did. Make sure everybody knows about Christ, and he did but he had to do something first before he could do that. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He had to forget some things. He said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul said, hey, one thing i got to do, one thing I've had to do to be effective for the Lord, I've had to forget what's behind. And the same is true for us today. If you're here today and life behind you has been a mess, or maybe life behind you has been pretty good and you're puffed up with pride over it, there's some things we have to let go to answer the upward call that God has for us in Christ. You know, Paul had to forget. We think we do some bad things and we done, we have in our past. But you know, the Bible gives us a wonderful example. People have done a lot worse than me and you. And God used them mightily. And Paul was one of those people. And here's some of the things that Paul had done. First, in Acts 7, 5 and 8, there was a man, the first martyr of the early church by the name named Stephen. He was being stoned. And back then they wore cloaks. They wore these big heavy things on them that would prevent them from being able to throw. And you know they really wanted to be able to throw them stones as hard as they could, trying to kill them. So they had to take them cloaks off. And in this scripture it says that they took them cloaks off and prior to Paul's encounter with Christ in a changed life, his name was Saul. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And so the Bible says as these people were taking those cloaks off so it wouldn't hinder them throwing them rocks, they were handing them to a man by the name of Saul, and he was given full approval of the stoning of Stephen. He was bound and determined to stop this new movement. He became a heavy persecutor of the early church. Acts 8 and 3 says Saul made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. No doubt Paul had him a contingency of other Jewish zealots, as zealous as he was. And they were going through house to house to house. It'd be like us today, living in our homes, and the police coming, knocking the door down, knowing that we're followers of the Lord and dragging us out. That happens in countries today. They have to hide. And he's dragging them out and he's committing them to prison. Not only is he committing them to prison, he's actually murdering them. Acts 9, 1 and 2 said, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him in the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way, that's what, that's what the followers of Christ were called right after Christ had ascended The movement had been established. They weren't called Christians yet. That happened later in a place called Antioch. They were known as the way. And Paul was bound and determined to stop that movement because he did not believe in it. But something happened to Paul, just like something happened to me. It may have happened to many of you. It may not have been quite as dramatic, but something happened to Paul. In Acts 9, 3 through 6, the Bible says that Paul was going on the road to Damascus, no doubt going looking for more of these Christians or these of the way that he could murder. And the Bible says he had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. There's been a lot of commentary about what did that mean. What did, what did Jesus mean when he looked at Paul and said, It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Somehow I think what's happened, a goad was a little prod stick that they used to get cattle to move. Cattle, like us as humans, can be stubborn. And when they would not move and do what the shepherd wanted them to do, they would stick them with a cattle prod and make them move. And you know what they would do? Like, like I do sometime when the Lord's nudging me, i kick back against Him. And I think Paul, the Holy Spirit, was already dealing with Paul. I think he was already dealing with... Paul saw something, I think he was dealing with him. But every time it would prick his heart, I think he'd kick against the goads. And so there was a time in your life that the Holy Spirit maybe pricked your heart and you kicked against the goad. Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is nudging you, pricking your heart, and you're kicking against the goad. Don't kick against the goad. He has something for you. He has a high call in your life. Out here, I want to tell you this morning. Maybe you've got young. Maybe you've got children. Maybe you got loved ones who are out there. You've raised them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You don't know why they're doing the things that they do. Let me tell you something from someone. Let me speak from experience. They're kicking against the goad. They'll never get away from the goad of the Holy Spirit. He always goads them. He goads. He goads. He goes. Paul was kicking against that goad. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Paul had a pretty horrific testimony when you think about that. And that was in his past. I can't believe for one second, Paul was also a very human being, just like we are. And I got to believe that when Paul laid his head down in a Roman prison to go to sleep or in his quietest of times, he saw the face of Stephen being stoned to death. He saw the face of those people that he drug out of a house and had them killed. And Paul could have taken that and he could have said, Lord, I can't do anything effective for you. You know what I've done. You know the bad things I've done. I can't get somebody else. He didn't do that. He said, I had to put this behind me. But you know what Paul didn't do? We say he forgot it. He, he, had to, he did have to forget it. He had to forget what he had done and not let it hinder him. We can't forget the things. In some ways, we need to embrace our past. In some things we need to embrace our failures because it's part of our testimony. We're looking for miracles. I want to see, I'd love to see just miracle after miracle after miracle, healing miracles, deliverance miracles. God still does those things. Not to the degree I'd like to see, but that's his business, not mine. But there's still no miracle. There's still no greater testimony that of, of the power of God than the changed life. Than the person who was a, 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 a drug addict, the person who was a drunk, the person who was an adulterer, a fornicator, a pornographer, and the list could go on and on and on that has that changed from that. And I know people like that, and you do too. They're different people. And they shouldn't run for it. Yeah, don't live back there, but embrace it. Make it part of your testimony. Paul did. He stood before religious leaders. He stood before government leaders. And nearly every time he'd stand before him, he'd tell them, I used to persecute them. I used to chase them down and kill them. But now I'm willing to die for it. And that was a powerful testimony to the people. Something's changed in this man's life. So whatever God has changed in your life, brace it. Because your testimony is the very one that will help someone else. People are where you are. People are where you have been, and they're looking for hope, and that hope is in you. Embrace the testimony. I like the way Tony Evans put this. Tony Evans said, if you spend all of your time today thinking about your failures or successes yesterday, then you will ruin your tomorrow. When today looks too long at yesterday, you're borrowing from tomorrow's time. Yesterday is like a rear-view mirror. When you go somewhere in the car, you use a rear-view mirror. A rear-view mirror shows you what's behind you. You need a rear-view mirror, but you only need a rear-view mirror to glance in it, not to live in it. You don't move forward by focusing on the rear-view mirror. You move forward by focusing on what's outside the windshield. If you live in a rear-view mirror, you will hurt somebody, but in front of the rear-view mirror is a much bigger piece of glass called a windshield. The windshield shows you where you're going, and that's a lot bigger than where you've been. Don't let yesterday mess up today, which will ruin tomorrow. While you're driving forward in your Christian life, every now and again, look in the rearview mirror. Take a peek in the rearview mirror to see what's behind you so you don't make a wrong turn while you're moving forward. Just don't stare too long. Don't, Don't live in the past. Don't live in your past failures. Don't live in that shame. Don't let Satan hinder you and the call that he has in your life. But you know, the same can be true of successes. I've heard there's two predominant groups of people that, or two predominant things that hinder people from coming to faith in the Lord. One, I've been too bad. You just don't know how bad I've been. There's no way God can forgive me. I actually had someone tell me that one time. They don't understand the grace and the mercy of God clearly. But there's people who feel that way. I've done so, I've messed it up so bad. No way he can forgive me and love me. And then there's those who say, I, I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm not an adulterer. I, I'm married. I, I have a good job. I take care of my family. I'm, I'm okay. Pride. Pride, and I think that's the heart of America now. I think we've been so self-sufficient, so prideful in ourselves. We don't need God anymore. And that will hinder you as much, sometimes if not more, than your failures. And Paul could have done that. Just a few scriptures back in Philippians 3, 4 through 8, Paul in this chapter had been talking to the Judaizers. They were people who felt like you still had to be circumcised and do certain things in the Jewish law to 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 be in right standing with God. And Paul fought that throughout his entire ministry. And Paul said to them, listen, if you think you... Could have confidence in your flesh. If you think you could be prideful because of the things you've accomplished, you have, let me let me let me roll out my resume for you, and that's what he did in Philippians three, four through eight. He said, "Though also might, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew." of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Paul had a resume. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Every Jewish young boy who was set to be a follower of the law who might be part of the religious ruling class had to be circumcised on the eighth day, and Paul was. He was of the stock of Israel. He could trace his lineage all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was no impurity, no ethnic impurity in him whatsoever. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Jacob's two favorite sons was Joseph and Benjamin. So he was of one of the most favorite tribes. King David came from Benjamin. So he could have said, the rest of you funkies are from these others. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a zeal for persecuting the Christians. We talked about that. Not only did Paul make a stand for what he believed was right in the law, he was going to stop anything he thought was wrong. And that's what he was doing with this, the way. He was a Pharisee. That was the most religious, self-righteous, legalistic group of the spiritual ruling class of that day. He was a Pharisee. He would have been like the most... Popular televangelist today, trained in the best seminaries, had all the degrees. He would have been the one when he walked into a synagogue, people would have said, whoa, Paul's here. Give him the best seat. That's how he was. What happened to that when he encountered Christ? What happened? He said, but what things were gained to me, I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all these things lost for the excellence of knowing, for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. You know what Paul said? He said, that resume is trash. That's what it means. It's trash. Throw it in the garbage. It means nothing to me. The only thing I want to know now is Christ and the power of His resurrection. I want to be closer to Him. I want to know Him. And I have to set aside all the prideful things, all the accomplishments I've made if I really want to know Him. See, all those things were outward measures. And that's how we still look at people. People walk in our churches today and we see them and what kind of car they come in, what kind of house they live in, what their financial situation is, how loud they can say amen, how loud they can shout. We're looking at all these outward measures. But that's not what the Lord's looking at. He's looking right in here. He sees. He knows. He knows everything about us. That's what he did with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and like many people in our world today, even in our church, he said, Lord, how do I get into heaven? Let's cut right to the chase. I I don't really really know how to live. I really don't care that much about you or knowing you or being close to you in relationship. Just tell me what I need to do. And Jesus said, hey, you know, he said... Honor your mother and your father. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Remember the Sabbath. You know what he said? Oh, he was like Paul. I'm good. I kept all those things since my youth. But just like with us, Jesus said something to him. He got right down to the heart. He said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. He said, whoa, I won't count on that. Because he was wealthy. And it wasn't about his money. It was about his heart. And the Bible says he went away sad because he was wealthy. He, Jesus won't look into those outward measures. He don't look at my outward. He don't, he don't care about my accomplishments. He doesn't care about my failures. They're behind, under the blood. What he really came for is to have relationship with me, to have relationship with you, to know him, not with a head knowledge, but with a heart knowledge. That's what Paul wanted. You know, Paul, in this pedigree here that he had, I can tell you one thing. Before Paul had his encounter with Christ, he would have never described himself as a sinner. He wouldn't have. They were the lowest of low. Paul was a Pharisee. There's no way he was a sinner. As a matter of fact, Jesus was criticized. You know, he went and ate with folks, and they said, why does, why does your teacher eat with the sinners? We don't have anything to do with the sinners. But after his encounter with the Lord... This is a radical statement, really. We, we just read it, and we, 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 we read it in our scriptures, and we don't realize what a radical change of heart this is. Paul talking, and I don't have this, Tammy, don't worry about it, but Paul was talking to Timothy. He was preparing Timothy to take over the ministry. And in 1 Timothy 1 and 15, he said this, Here's a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of who I am chief. That was a radical statement from a Pharisee because his heart had been changed. That's why Jesus looked at those religious leaders of his day and said, you like dead men's tombs. They were prideful, and that was a hindrance to them knowing him. And it can still be a hindrance today of us knowing him. It's okay to be ambitious. It's okay, but let's don't. If those things in any way hinder your relationship from the Lord, if Satan's in your ear with it, whether it's your past failures, whether it's your successes, whether it's you're worried about what your, your your workplace is going to think of you, no matter, set them aside for the high calling of Christ. Jim Elliot said, "He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose." Any of this stuff Paul had, he couldn't keep it. All the stuff we work for and things for apartment, we can't keep it. But I'm going to tell you, once you come to a right standing with Jesus Christ and the joy that comes from that and the hope that comes from that, you can't lose it. And there's nothing like it. And it'll make you enjoy the things of life more. It'll make you enjoy the sexes of life more. Because it's not where your identity comes from. It's not where your hope comes from. If the stock market collapses tomorrow, I'm not jumping out in no building because that's not where my hope is. My hope is in Christ, and Paul's hope was in Christ. He could sit in a Roman prison, know they're about to take my head off, and write about joy. He had forgotten what was behind him and pressing toward the high call of Christ in his life. Paul presses for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Only what you do for the kingdom of God has everlasting significance. That's in the relationships that you form. That's in the work that you do. Only what we do for the kingdom of God has everlasting significance. All the things and the pedigree that Paul had, it had no everlasting significance. Not just the prize of heaven, but an ongoing intimate relationship with Christ while on earth. We have to go back to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I have to go back one, a little bit and look and see what Paul well, We go back just a few scriptures to see why, why Paul felt this way. Paul said this, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That was Paul's goal in life, that he would know him and the power of his resurrection. And you know what? And he said even this, and the fellowship of his sufferings, He was called to suffer. Thank God that God hadn't done that to me yet. I don't know what he might call us to do. But he could do that because his hope was in Christ. Pressing on is a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity. Paul said, therefore, let us who are mature have this mind. When we press on, we forget what's behind us. It is a sign of maturity. We don't let our past control us anymore. We don't let it hinder us anymore. Yeah, we we glance back there every once in a while. But it doesn't control us. We keep pressing towards the higher call. And in that, Paul acknowledged that he wasn't perfect in verse 12. He said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. I haven't already obtained the full knowledge of the Lord. Neither have you. And I'm not perfected. But I will be one day. I will be one day and so will you. The question is, what do you need to let go of this morning in order to press on towards the high call of Christ in your life? As I've talked about these things, has something been running through your head? Maybe it's something that we know about, you know about, your family knows about. Maybe it's someone no one else knows about, but it hinders you. Let it go. Burn the ship. Cut the tie. God's calling us to a higher call in him. A couple points of application um, before we finish. And I'm going to ask Brother Matt and his team to come come on back up. First, only because I've heard this before, don't you remind your brothers and sisters of their past. We're to build each other up. We're to encourage each other in the Lord. I've been in some situations around some men where I've, men who are now followers of the Lord, maybe they knew each other before Christ. Many people have a BC experience before Christ. And they're quick to say, I remember when you used to, don't do that. Maybe they're trying to burn that tie in that ship. Don't you bring it up. God's let it go. It's gone as far as he's concerned. He's wiped that slate. Why are you going to bring it up? Don't do that to your brothers and sisters. Next. And this was a big one. This is where it all starts. You've got to forgive yourself. We talk about forgiveness. We believe in forgiveness. We've got to forgive others. Christ has forgiven us. You will never start on this journey unless you forgive yourself. And I learned that lesson kind of the hard way back when we were doing an outreach to men's groups here. They were recovery homes Somebody had some recovery homes and several men out of our church. You guys remember we would, one Saturday a month, we would get some biscuits and we would go there and we would try to encourage these men who were in a very difficult time of life. Many of them were addicted. They were homeless in essence and they were living in these recovery homes. And there was someone in our church at that time who had had a, an addiction, but God had set him free from it. And we were in around and we were sharing. This person said to them, he said, guys, let me tell you something. You'll never get through this unless you forgive yourself. He said, the church talks about forgiveness, and, and there should be forgiveness. He said, but you've got to learn to forgive yourself. And I was like, whoa, you know, I've never really thought about that. He said, you've got to forgive the times, when you say, I'm never doing that again, and you do it. And he said, I had to forgive the times when I took my, the money that was supposed to be for my children's gift, pres, uh, gift presents and spent them on drugs. And I was like, Wow. He said, but God's delivered me from that and I'm learning to forgive myself. That's where it starts. Christ has forgiven you. You must learn to forgive yourself. But then lastly, I can't leave you without this. There has to be a change. There has to be a change in your life. That's one of the purposes of that rearview mirror is to look back and see where I've been and say, I don't want to go back there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I know the heartache back there. I know the hurt back there. I know the emptiness back there. I'm not going back to that. And that's going to require... See, I, th- I think what we, w- we want is the Holy Spirit to come in and just take us and float us around and you know do everything for us. It's going to take some conscious choices, decisions on your part to tell some friends, I can't go there no more. Well, this happened to me. Well, when did you become so self-righteous? When I've surrendered myself to Christ. And I'm, I'm, I want Him to help me now. I'm not living like that anymore. I'm not doing those things anymore. That's, that's right here. So you have to make some conscious choices in your life to make some changes. And you know what I believe? I believe the moment that you really and God sees this person is ready to change, that's when the power of that Holy Spirit comes in and begins to help you make those changes. And those things you thought you could never stop begin to fall off of you because the power of the Holy Spirit sees a person who really wants to change their life. I remember one time... Right here, y'all remember Junius Westbrook, pastor's brother. He was a long-time alcoholic for many years, but then God set him free. He was just a wonderful person to talk to people who were struggling with addictions because he'd been there. And there was a group that had brought some some folks out out here that were on some recovery programs, and this guy had had a heroin addiction, and me and Junius stepped right down there to pray with him. And after it was over, we stood up, and Junius was standing there talking to him. So I walked away because Junius could talk to him. And Junius walked up to me. i never forget it. He looked at me right in the eyes. He goes, he's not ready. So you got to be ready. Because when you're ready, the Lord will move on your behalf. This guy wasn't ready. And Junius knew because Junius had been there. One of the greatest statements in the Bible comes on the heels of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And he says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. There's a lot of people deceived out there. A lot of people being heard from pill pits. You can live in your sinful lifestyle and inherit the kingdom of God. No, you can't. And Paul is crystal clear here. Neither. And here comes a list. And the reality of it is, as I read this list, if we look at it, we find ourselves in here somewhere, either in thought action, and sometimes deed. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covenants, drunkards, revelers, extortioners, not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And, and you might be here, and you might read some of that, and you might think, Ooh, man, I just got kicked with all kinds of daggers. He was talking to a church. This letter was written to a church, not unlike Bethel. But he didn't stop there. He was talking to a church that had every one of those people in it or he wouldn't have brought it up. And he certainly then wouldn't have said this. But, but. Someone said everything before the but's a lie. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And you might find yourself in that list. And you might want to go back to that in your mind sometime, but Jesus says, but such were some of you. He's he's forgiven you of it. Let go of it. Don't let Him drag you back to it no more. He wants to take that testimony of what you were and take it out there and say, I was, but I'm not anymore. Peter said, hey, you've been bought with a price, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So let it go. Let it go. And press on to the high calling that Christ has for you. French psychiatrist Paul Tournier once compared faith to the actions of a trapeze artist swinging on one bar without the security of a net. That trapeze artist is going to turn loose of one bar and grab another. But there's a moment after he's turned loose of the first bar before he's grabbed the second bar that he's hanging in midair with no net underneath. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Letting go of the past in faith so you can take hold of God's future. If you want to live abundantly, if you want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, you first have to let go. If you're here this morning and there's something in your past, maybe you know it, maybe others know it, but it hinders you, this morning I want you to let it go. I want you to bring up, I want you to come out, I ask everyone if they will to stand. If there's something as I have spoke this morning, if the Holy Spirit has used those words to say, I got some things I need to let go. I want you to come down to the altar. Let your brothers and sisters gather around you and pray for you because we got things we've had to let go. There's none perfect in this place or have been perfect. Yeah, there might be more outward carnage, but there's still some inward struggle. And God wants, God's saying to you, let it go. God's saying let it go this morning, church. Forgive yourself. Get that junk out of your life and press on toward that upward call and see what God will do with you. Paul could have said, I can't do it, Lord. But you know, he would have found someone else. He'd have got another person to do what... Because God's going to do what God's going to do. He'd have found another Paul. Maybe you're the next Paul. Maybe you're the next person who's going to change your school, young person. Maybe you're the person who's going to change your workplace. Maybe you're the person who's going to change your family. But not while you're always beating yourself up when the Lord says let it go Father I thank you for the power of this word God and Lord that uh, you, you have forgiven us you say put put everything behind you put put the past failures put the past successes and reach on to know me and my power and the power of my resurrection and the upward call so I pray this morning if there's some here God in, that, in their heart you're already dealing with them there's things that They just need to let go of them. I pray, Lord, that they won't let their pride as Paul could have or anything else hinder them. Maybe from stepping out of the aisle and coming down and saying, I don't care what other people think about me. I'm going to come down, get close, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, Lord, help me in this area. Help me to let it go. And so, church, this altar is open. If you're here this morning and there's just something, you can come down, kneel, and pray and spend some time you got some things on your heart you need to get off your heart, things you can't let go of. Maybe this would be the morning. This will be the morning that you're obedient, and God will set you free from those things. So this altar is open momentarily. ask everyone if they will let's gather around the altar i'd like a couple of my brothers to come pray with brother dan sisters to pray with uh sister christy just 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 in a prayer of agreement you know just just in a prayer of of encouragement and comfort and um i'm gonna ask as you come forward and once everyone gathers around we'll pray for just specific needs this morning If you're here this morning, you have a need, could be sickness, could be fine, whatever. You know what you need. And you want somebody to gather. So we, we just believe in the prayer of agreement. We believe this is how these relationships are supposed to work. You, you were not created to do this by yourself. And if you get out on an island on your own and think you're going to do this by yourself, you are going to fall flat on your face. Okay. But not together we won't. So if you're here this morning, you have a need, if you'd raise your hand, we're going to have some people come and gather around you and pray. Anybody else? Anybody? Just put your hand up where I can see it. Okay. All right, then I'm just going to ask as they begin to, to uh, play that we just spend some time in worship and, and worship together around the altar. When it comes to these things we're reluctant sometimes to open up afraid of what people might think afraid of what people might say but I would just encourage you to have an accountability partner someone you can talk to lady to lady man to man and if you happen to be that person for someone you keep that in confidence because we need that you know the bible says confess your sins do we do that (laughs) we do not that's what the scripture tells us to but oh what a savior And no matter where you've been, what you've done, how messed up you think you are, He will take you, change your life, and clean you up. There were some pretty vile people that had encounters with the Lord. And those who came to Him self-righteous left self-righteous, just as lost as when they came to Him. But those who came to Him with a broken and a contrite heart, whether it was an adulterous woman, whether it was a woman with five husbands that was Samaritan and he wasn't even supposed to be talking to, whether it was a rotten tax collector when they had an encounter with the Lord with an open heart they they were a new person instantaneously changed and he's still in the business of changing lives and he's changed many of your lives and you got a testimony to tell don't be afraid to tell it because it's still a powerful powerful message it still would be one of the greatest miracles when people start to say to you ask you questions and they know the person that you were I'm not that person anymore why? I've come to know the Lord and it's a message. It's a message, and it's a message that the world still needs to hear. Continue to pray for each other, fellowship around the altar. God bless you. We love you. We look forward to hopefully you'll be here Wednesday night, and as we continue to worship, have a great week.